This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Well, yesterday we finally got the long-awaited fiscal snapshot of the country's finances. Finance Minister Bill Borneau disclosed the latest forecast for the deficit, $343.2 billion, and that is a full $87 billion higher than the best guess by the parliamentary budget officer. Now, he didn't tell us much more than that. The increase in that deficit number is likely because of the amount allocated uh, to the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy. And the new update sets aside $82.3 billion for it, but... Not a lot of that has been taken up so far, and Finance Minister Bill Morneau didn't tell us how long he intends to leave it in place, and that's something that makes it very difficult for businesses to plan. And the take-up so far, as I said, has been disappointing. It is 245,000 applicants covering 2 million workers at a cost of 17 billion. And again, they've just allocated 82.3 billion for it. And you, you have to compare this to 8 million applicants at a cost of uh, $53 billion for the CERB. There was also no blueprint for a recovery as other G7 countries have mapped out. And it turns out we also have the highest unemployment rate in the G7. And I, for one, am wondering why that is. Now, the opposition conservatives have some ideas on this and their finance critic, Pierre Polyevre, joins me now. Hi, Pierre. Hello? Yes, Pierre Polyev here. Hi, Pierre. How are you? I'm great. So, uh, in general, what is your critique of uh, this snapshot that we got yesterday? Well, the government revealed that it spent the most to achieve the least in the G7. We have the highest spending on COVID response and the worst result. In other words, the highest unemployment. Uh, There's no G7 country with unemployment as high as Canada, France, Italy, the U.S., the U.K., Japan, Germany, all had to confront the uh, coronavirus crisis, and yet they all have lower unemployment than Canada. Uh, Secondly, uh, there was no plan to fix that in this package. It was just a a big, fat $343 billion surprise. Here's your deficit, the biggest since the Second World War. And our debt is a trillion dollars. And thank you very much. Our work is done here. Uh, That's all we saw yesterday. I think we understand why the employment unemployment rate would be lower in the United States. And we don't want to go there. They've obviously reopened a lot too soon. But why uh, are the European countries who have had similar responses in terms of 
lockdowns, why is their unemployment rate lower than ours? Yeah, I should point out that Italy had a far worse coronavirus outbreak than anyone else. And, and even they have lower unemployment than Canada. This is a country, by the way, the Italians are a country that have been in a period of economic crisis for almost a decade now. So the fact that we're even worse than Italy uh, is uh, deeply concerning. I think it's because um, the, uh, let's start with the past, then we'll go to the present. In the last five years, Trudeau has been devastating our energy sector, which was 10% of our economy, one of the leading employers in our country. It employs more people than the auto sector does. Uh, and he has blocked three pipelines. He's blocked the construction of a $20 billion mine in northern Alberta and uh, has delayed the construction of a pipeline and LNG facility in the Saguenay with $14 billion. I give these as examples of how he has suppressed employment prior to the crisis. Um, the next issue is that the response programs he's designed uh, punish work. If you are on the CERB and you earn more than $1,000, Trudeau will kick you from the CERB to the curb. Uh, you know, you lose your entire benefit. So workers are justifiably concerned that if they take more than a couple of shifts a week, that they could be without any income. Uh, that's why we need a back-to-work bonus to get people off the CERB and into regular earnings. Uh, and again, uh, is that the situation in some of these European countries, or is there anything else at play there? I think they've designed their programs in a way to get people back to work where it's possible and safe. And uh, whereas here in Canada, Trudeau seems almost deliberately to have designed the programs in a way that make it impossible for workers to go back to their jobs uh, or employers to regain their lost revenue. If you can't keep your revenue low enough as a business, you lose your wage subsidy and rent subsidy. So you're financially better off to suppress your business sales. Uh, and so when we have these businesses across the country that in order to stay alive, ironically, have to keep their revenues down. It's, just, it's asinine. Uh, and so you've got workers and their employers suppressing economic activity in order to check the boxes on Trudeau's bureaucratic programs. It's no surprise that we're the worst in the G7 for unemployment. Interesting with what they are doing with the wage subsidy. So, so far, only $17 billion has been taken up, but they set aside $82.3 billion, which is a lot, but they haven't given us any details. Now, for instance, in the UK, their finance minister said no wage subsidies after October, but at least that's clear. And I know of employers who kind of are scratching their heads trying to plan, and they don't know how long they'll be covered or not covered by the wage subsidy. Then that is a major concern for a lot of employers. They don't know what the government's plans are, and therefore they can't make their own plans. Um, we as conservatives have proposed that the government allow businesses to recapture their lost revenue while maintaining the wage subsidy. That would align the incentives with what we want. We want businesses to come roaring back. We want their sales to return. 
and we want them to be able to employ their workers at the same time. So that's what we're proposing for the wage rent subsidies and the CERB. We want to stop the penalties the government is imposing on Canadians for earning income. Uh, let me just uh, read you some of the other things that are being done in Britain. So they're reducing consumption taxes for food and accommodation, restaurant get discounts for people who eat out to help out, and uh, a green home renovation credit. I, th- I think we have some of those in Ontario. Uh, are, are those things that you think are a good idea? Uh, you know, we should look at them. I, I think we need to find private sector stimulus. So uh, we have other ideas. For example, there's $20 billion of energy projects, energy and resource projects that are privately financed and awaiting federal approval. They happen to be very safe uh, workplaces in the coronavirus environment because they're outdoors, they're on sites where people can separate themselves 10, 20 feet apart while they work. And often they're in different machines separate from each other. In other words, this is the perfect COVID job to work in. And uh, the government just needs to say, yes, go ahead. And you've got $20 billion of economic activity right there. Uh, I think uh, we need to signal to the private sector a willingness to allow more natural gas liquefaction. Uh, there, uh, we have a 1,220 trillion cubic feet of natural gas in Canada that Asia desperately needs to get off coal. We could be uh, liquefying, shipping it from our West Coast and from the Saguenay, and uh, yet uh, the Trudeau government is holding that up. So we can get, get the government out of the way and unleash the productive forces of our workers and industry, then uh, we can bring our economy roaring back. What about, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at some areas that are actually sometimes provincial responsibilities. So a little later on in the show, we're going to be talking to optometrists and they, along with family doctors, I mean, they're very constrained in the numbers of patients they can see and their costs have gone up. They have to uh, strict infection control and PPE and all of that. Uh, is, is there a role for the federal government in, I mean, it would be optometrists and, and any other healthcare professionals, including family docs. Is there a role for the federal government in that? Well, uh, the major role was the stockpiles of PPE. The federal government had established those stockpiles during the Harper era. And then many of the Supplies were destroyed about a year ago uh, by the current government. They just threw them away. And then many more were given to foreign countries in the early part of the pandemic in January. So the major problem is that we're starting from behind. Um, and, uh, you know, the government doesn't, at the federal level, doesn't seem to have much of a plan to restock Canada so that our hospitals, our long term care facilities, and our other important sectors can carry out their duties. Uh, Speaking of long-term care, huge national shame, what has happened in our long-term care sector over the course of the pandemic. And everybody or many, many people from many, you know, corners are are calling on national standards or calling on long-term care to come under the Canada Health Act. I, 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 would have maybe expected to see something 
about that because that would have to come with some federal dollars. Do you have a view of that? Yeah, we definitely need to do a better job uh, at protecting vulnerable seniors. Like some of the conditions in which they find themselves are appalling, and uh, that has been exposed throughout this pandemic period. Um, and uh, so I, I think we're, we're, as conservatives, we're looking for the best way to do it. Of course, it is provincial jurisdiction, but yep. uh, there's no reason why we can't work with our provincial partners to ensure our seniors have a dignified and safe place to go in their final years. Okay, anything you want to leave us with, Pierre? Well, I just think that we need to ask ourselves, how do we unleash the free enterprise system to get our workers and our entrepreneurs earning income again. That is the only way out of this. We cannot fund ourselves through debt or printing fake dollars through the Bank of Canada forever. Uh, There is no cornucopia of cash to pay our bills. The only way we can do it is to get our 20 million Canadian workers back on the job and the million Canadian businesses that employ them firing on all cylinders. That is our singular challenge going forward. Okay, Pierre Polyevre, Conservative MP for Carleton and the Conservative finance critic. Thank you so much for being with us. Great being with you. Okay. And uh, now let's bring in Ted Mallett. He's the Vice President and Chief Economist of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. And uh, we'll get his take on what we heard and more importantly, what we didn't hear from Finance Minister Bill Moore. No. Hi, Ted. How are you? Good afternoon. How are you? Fine. So what did you make of uh, the fiscal snapshot? Well, the snapshot was certainly scary enough. We saw some pretty eye-popping numbers in terms of uh, what the fiscal finances look like at the moment. Uh, And also, we think it was a missed opportunity to actually fill in some detail about uh, that small business owners have been really craving for in in terms of how they move forward with their employment plans over the next uh, little while. We we got a hint that there's going to be some movement on the, the wage subsidy, but no details yet. And but the trouble is business owners are uh, wanting to hire more people, but they don't know if they're going to qualify for the uh, the actual subsidy. So it, it, it becomes uh, really uncertain for, for business owners to uh, to expand and very risky for them to, to, to get back into business uh, without knowing what the ground rules are. And that's, that's a problem with it. Well, you know, I, I, uh, I was in one of those meetings uh, the other day, and uh, it's even, you know, the few businesses, and there aren't many, that have taken up the wage subsidy. Well, they are making assumptions about how long it will be available, but they don't know. And it's very hard to call people back to work or to make plans. Or uh, are you saying that people will still work from home? Are their hours going to be cut? All of those things, uh, you know, um, are totally up in the air. Yes. But one of the big, uh, I mean, the, the wage subsidy is, is, is an important piece. And, you know, we're happy that it was brought in. Uh, but there are some features about it that, that are problematic. It's it's an all-or-nothing kind of situation. A business has to have seen at least a 30% reduction in revenues in order to qualify for that. Uh, but if they only have a 29% reduction in revenues, then uh, they're out of luck. They But they don't know the revenue uh, results until after the month is over. Uh, but they have to actually make the hiring plans 
well in advance of that. So it becomes pretty risky if, if they believe that, uh, you know, the customers are wanting to come back, they want to open their stores, uh, open their businesses and so on. Uh, but revenue, and they, they think revenues are going to be weak or they, they think it's still going to be problematic, uh, but they end up being just a little bit better than what they expected. They could end up with uh, a much higher wage bill than, than than they feared, and in fact, it may mean that they're still losing money rather than making money. Uh, we're hoping that the, the the wage subsidy can be modified so that it becomes a sliding scale. So businesses that don't see much of a, a revenue decline don't see would not get much of a subsidy, uh, but it would be scaled upwards so that whatever the uh, the experience for that business. Then, then the subsidy would be scaled to uh, to do that. That would make it much safer for businesses to make forward plans because they, they wouldn't run the risk of actually uh, losing as much money or, or uh, they, they'd feel much more confident in, in making plans for the future, at least the next several months. I'd like to bring in somebody who is grappling with those very questions as we speak. Donna Dewar is a co-owner of Mildred's Temple Kitchen, which is a restaurant right here in Liberty Village. Hi, Donna. (laughs) Good afternoon. So where are you at in terms of uh, business? Well, uh, we closed the restaurant uh, on March the 13th on Sunday, uh, two days before. For the city, man, you know, mandated or the, the country mandated that we close down, and we, of course, like so many restaurants uh, out there, we pivoted and, and tried retail, curbside meal kits, uh, anything to to keep us going. And just in the last week, we've had the opportunity now to open up our patio, so we're slowly reopening, and uh, it's been an incredible journey. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I mean, how are you doing? Um, uh, I would, uh, is your revenue would be down 30%? Oh, yeah. Our revenue is probably down about uh, 90%. Oh, wow. And uh, we, uh, and, and now that the patio is open, which is wonderful, but, you know, we have reduced uh, capacity out there because of the restrictions around physical distancing which, of course, are very important. These, these measures uh, have to be taken. And now we also have a very hot day. <laughs> it's, it's pushing 40 degrees out there. Uh, so it's, it's very warm for people to go out and sit outside. So it seems we're always bumping up against some new obstacle uh, along the way. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be a very, very different uh, a scene for restaurants when we finally get to opening indoors and and then we see once the summer wraps up and patios close down, I think we're really going to get a, a clear picture on how restaurants will have survived this uh, this time. And um, are you taking advantage of the wage subsidy and, and uh, what are your comments on it? Well, I, I would agree that the subsidy has been a great uh, relief for for businesses, but I do feel that it should be on a sliding scale, and it it should be uh, broader for everyone to partake in. I mean, for us, it, it's pretty it's relatively easy. It, we were closed; uh, we've lost most of our business, and I hope that we'll see it extended as well, uh, because it's very difficult to predict whether or not the public has an appetite to come indoors and sit 
in a restaurant and dine. I think they feel a little more comfortable being outside. But we there's so there's so much unknown. Uh, it's difficult for us to be bringing people in and then letting them go. I mean, I mean, our teams, our staff. I find that we overstaffed for the opening of the patio, and now I've got too many people back in. So where do I go with them? Do I really, do I let them go again and they go back and apply for a CERB or do we keep them going and, and try to redirect some of their job functions? Every day you're making a new decision about something that's come down the pipe. Ted, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you encounter that with a lot of your members. We're hearing that on a daily basis uh, many, many times, and, and uh, I think Donna spelled, spelled it out very eloquently in terms of the challenges, uh, uh, good spirits, but I'm sure there's sleepless nights in, in the, the worry of, of uh, what's in store for the business uh, for, for many firms, including restaurants. They, 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 they do wonder about the, the long-term uh, implications of not just the rules around distancing and you know, reduced capacities and how do you, how do you make money with uh, with fewer people actually coming in the door, uh, but also how how does it change uh, consumers' perspectives on uh, the, the act of eating out and and uh, what kind of places will they congregate and and so on? So that's those are those are long term issues that uh, people, especially in the hospitality sector, have to have to grapple with. And uh, but you know the, the focus right now is to to get businesses through to the rest of the year. Um, and, and this is where these kind of uh, government programs are necessary in order to, to be modified and allow uh, the businesses to uh, at least make the most or the, the best out of the situation. That's quite challenging. Uh, the Conservatives were also talking about a back-to-work bonus for people who are on the CERB. What do you think of that idea? Well, I think, that, I mean, everything has to move in concert with everything else. Uh, there's, there's good incentives for for people to stay home right now, uh, it has to be modified to uh, uh, to, to move on to uh, uh, from assisting people to stay home to encouraging them to to get back uh, into into their their former job or potentially get back into jobs that are are uh, uh, will be developed over the, the next couple of weeks and months. Uh, whether it's a bonus or whether it's uh, just a built-in incentive around how CERB is structured uh, it doesn't really matter. As long as the incentives are, are kind of built-in so that uh, uh, people will say that, uh, hey, we're better off getting the, the whole economy working and circulating as much as possible, and uh, and so on. There's many different ways of, of getting these kinds of incentives through the, through the door, and we're not going to focus on, you know, one you know, option A versus option B. But I think the, the broader principle is that uh, we want to get as many people back into the workforce safely as possible. Uh, you know, we're understood that we still have a, a challenging uh, health environment to, to, to work with. Donna, have you encountered any em- employees who said, you know what, I'm better off with the CERB than coming back to work? Well, not not in so many words. I, I mean, what we're what we're seeing are employees who are concerned about coming back into the workspace and feeling safe. Uh, we have employees, for example, who are living with elderly uh, parents or grandparents and are concerned about coming back into a public-facing uh, business, which, of course, is hospitality. And, and they're stepping back and saying, you know what, I'll ride it out with CERB and, and see how things go. So, 
you know, it, it I, I can't say that anybody has actually said that, although I'm a, I, I'm a bit suspicious of it at times, that yes, uh, I'm looking out today, it's a beautiful day, and, and uh, depending on where you are on the wage scale as well, you may be better off staying uh, with CERB, and uh, if it's a part-time job, for example, which we have plenty of in our, in our industry. One thing that has happened for me I've stepped back and I've looked for the past 20, 25 years. I've been working in a restaurant industry, a uh, hospitality industry that delivers a 5% margin. So now I'm looking at, at my business with a completely new lens and saying the old model is not going to be sustainable moving forward out of this pandemic. What am I going to do now to change that model and to, to make it worth my while to get out of bed? And work in an industry that's going to deliver a better ROI. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that for sure. And uh, we're starting to run out of time. But Ted, uh, this is not a happy note to close on. But do you have a sense of of how many of your members or how many small businesses are just not going to be able to come back? We're trying to get a handle on that right now. There, uh, it'll be kind of slow to get some of the official government statistics out there. Uh, really what we're doing within, within our membership is that uh, nobody's going to be cancelled as a member of CFIB. So even if the business uh, is inactive for some time and then comes back in some form, whatever form that is, uh, uh, six months or even a year from now, uh, they're, you know, they're still going to be part of our, uh, our, our, our solution network and will continue to serve their, uh, their needs. So really that's, that's really what we're trying to focus on. Mm-hmm. But the early numbers that you had, which were pretty high, Kind of twenty five percent is that? Do you think that's how it's going to pan out? I, I think we'll probably see a, a big change in in many of that. Uh, I think the number is probably going to be a little lower, uh, between 10, 10 to twenty percent is probably a a better number. But we'll probably see an awful lot of former business owners uh, come back in other kinds of ways because once you've owned a business, it's very difficult to kind of go back into a paid employment category, and and we'll see opportunities later on, as long as we can get uh, most of them through the uh, the challenges of 2020. Okay, yeah, and, and Ted, just a final question for you. Do you have any sense of why other countries are have a lower unemployment rate going through the same thing? Well, part of it is just the structure of the, uh, uh, the, the benefit measures that are out there, but also differences in the way that unemployment rates are calculated. Uh, so, um, you know, there, there are big differences between the Canadian and the U.S. calculation method, and the Canada's numbers look higher just because of the administrative differences and how they, they count people who are sort of in the workforce or not really in the workforce or they're temporarily out of the workforce. So it's, um, the, the, the best advice most economists are saying is don't focus on the unemployment rate itself. Focus on the number of uh, full-time and part-time jobs that are being counted uh, every month. Okay. And Donna, what would you like to leave us with? Well, um, I think uh, we're going to see a lot of uh, devastation in the restaurant industry. And I'm, I'm speaking more from the full-service dining experience. But by the same token, I do think opportunity will present itself. And for those determined entrepreneurs, to Ted's point, uh, we, we are a tenacious bunch. You know, we will come out uh, looking different with a, with a different model. And, and I'm looking forward to that. It has been a, it's been a tough four months, but 
if we can't take some of the learning away from this to, to make our businesses better and create more opportunity for our teams and our employees, then, you know, we, we maybe should be in business after all. Okay. Well, uh, I, I'm wishing you both all the best and uh, the same to all business owners. And for now, thank you so much. Ted Mallett, Vice President and Chief Economist of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business and Donna Dewar, co-owner of Mildred's Temple Kitchen, a very good restaurant right here in Liberty Village. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.